Hello, I'm Isabel, she, her, hers. And I'm David, he, him, his. And we're two therapists with ADHD who sit down to have some chats about ADHD. We can't promise we'll stay on topic or be professional or even remotely mature, but we can promise that you'll end up looking at you or your loved one's beautiful neurodivergent brain in a shiny new way. This is not a therapy session. This is something shiny. I love it. Do you like Uh, it? That's amazing. And can this just be the intro? You saying that and me freaking out about how amazing it is? Yeah. And you dropping your voice? That could be be our (laughs) first intro. (laughs) So without further ado, welcome to Something Shiny. I'm David. (laughs) In this episode... David is going to be giving a presentation he gives to professionals and folks with ADHD all across the country. It's amazing. And he managed to give it to some of our neurodiverse and neurotypical friends and family, Christina, AJ, Gabe, and my husband, Bobby. Thank you so much for joining us, amazing friends and family. So through this episode, you're going to hear David talking about a PowerPoint presentation. Kind of hard to do over a podcast. So if you want to see some of these visuals he's talking about, go to our show notes to a link or go straight to our website, somethingshinypodcast.com. That's somethingshinypodcast.com. And you can check them all out for free. This is part seven of David's lecture series all about ADHD, where he switches from an overview of ADHD to addressing what to do with it and about it. For this one, it really helps for you to go back and listen to the other parts of the lecture series first, which you can find wherever you listen to podcasts or on our website, somethingshinypodcast.com. All right. So like bedtime, right? Uh, When you have a uh, ton of stuff to do the next day or your your week is scheduled and booked yeah. right it's pretty easy to then uh give yourself boundaries and go to bed or like like well i have to wake up super early in the morning and even though some nights you might mess that up and stay up late anyway but for the most part you're like tomorrow tomorrow's a big deal i'm going to go to sleep because mm-hmm. it's worth it right yeah. but then you have days or weeks that are not as uh uh, don't have as many boundaries or commitments already. All right. And so in my, in my life, uh, since I'm my own boss and I do, I work on my own, right. If I don't have a lot of scheduled things in a day or a week and I have flexibility, uh, it's like, it feels freeing. It's like, Oh, cool. I could do whatever I want, which then leads to doing kind of whatever I want and nothing. Right. Right. Or just, uh, general, unhappiness or anxiety right because i'm doing things that are they're not necessarily uh, healthy like staying up super late Mm -hmm. so how do you how do you what is the question how do you eliminate how do you eliminate choices or uh how do you get rid of the that temptation when you have flexibility or a weekend versus a weekday that's a great like what you're talking about is like how do i deal with variability in a routine or unstructured time oh yeah right because he's saying that you don't really have a routine and part of your routine is that it's not structured. Like you can expect this lack of structure, right? Yeah, always. Not, not structured. So the first thing we would radically accept right now is that you cannot make structure, make use of your time if you don't outline what you want to do with it. 
right? So like, we know that. The second thing is we can outsource choice through routine. So like, if you go to bed at the same time, practice good sleep hygiene, or like you wake, practice waking up at the same time, that's really important because then whether or not it's like your day off or a lack of search time, you still have that time. If you're sleeping in until you have to go to work every day and you sleep in every day or stay awake really late, it can be dysregulating because your commitments can be punishing. Which is hard because they're not actually punishing their commitments. So it's like when you can accommodate those differently through structure, it's really helped for me. I'm a terrible therapist before 10 in the morning. I'm not good. I'm a great human being, but I'm a bad therapist, right? So I don't work before 10. I don't wake up at 9.30 and drive to the office, right? But it's about like, what do I do with my mornings? How do I spend my time? And knowing that I have that vulnerability. I'm a person that enjoys working later, typically. So I accommodate that. On my days off, I am up usually by 9.30, 8 o'clock. I'm sleeping in, but like it's a different kind of structure because I'm still moving at that same, like at that same speed, like pace. Is this making sense? You do that on purpose. On purpose. And now I have luxury mornings is what I call them. But you and your luxury mornings, you give them some sort of structure because if you don't, you'll sleep. Till I got to get up. But if I don't have work, then I get to have a coffee and then I get to listen to this place, like this playlist that I get. And then after that, I get to like cook a dish, usually like something I'm going to have for lunch. Like it's a bone, it's a win that I get, but I'm still up in the morning. And what I'm not doing is just waiting to do something else. It's like the bonus time, Phil. I got an idea. So something that you taught me that has been life changing is so like, like as a therapist, right, you might get a last minute cancellation or like I imagine as a freelancer or in every everything anyone does, right? You unexpectedly get gifted like an hour or two sometimes. Um, or in one case, like three hours. And normally what I would do for the, that hour is I would beat myself up for not doing something productive until maybe I would half do something productive, but then I couldn't focus on it. So then I get more frustrated. So then I'd be pissed. And then I'd like start roaming the halls looking for someone to talk to. No one is out of session and I'm going crazy because I just want to talk to somebody and no one wants to talk. It was just a mess. Like, I mean, I'm just being honest. You're, you're like, uh, yes, that hurts so much hearing. Like yeah. And I am that kid in class, and I'm still that kid now at work where it's like, if you don't give me something to do, I'm just going to try to talk to somebody and distract them. And that's, I'm sure, very frustrating for people. So what you said was mm -hmm. brilliant, which is like, pick, like, do you like Netflix? I'm like, oh, of course. You're like, pick a show or a movie or something that you only get to watch if this happens. Yep. It has to be something you save for just that time. It can't be something you just like willy-nilly do. So I purposely save all my like super weird indie films that like no one ever wants to watch. <laughs> like, and that's when I watch. And I watch them like in five minute increments sometimes. But I love it. It's it's just the best thing. And then suddenly anytime someone cancels instead of going like down the spiral, I go, mm -hmm. <gasps> I get to finish, you know, yes. whatever the movie is. For me, it's Clone Wars. The cartoon. Like I get right into the, like I go for 20 minute episodes. But <laughs> But it's about allowing, like, having rules for, like, when you get free time or get to enjoy things. But notice how, even how you're describing it, you didn't say if a client cancels, I get free time. What did you say? I get to watch the thing. It's so specific. See how it's different? It's like, I get to do Netflix. I get to watch the thing. If you're doing free time, you're effed. There's, that's what free time stands for, effed. It's, there's, there's nothing, there's no structure in free time. When kids say I want free time, they're saying leave me alone. I don't want your structure. They don't want free time. Kids will be like, 
I'm gonna play this video game, watch this TV show, and then I'm gonna play this video game, and then I'm gonna hang out with these dudes, and I'm gonna build this thing, and there's so much structure, right? It's not free time. A lot of times I assume that the chaos and drive that we have, that I have within myself uh, and the others have, is a very Western and an American thing that has to do with like our productive society and wanting to accomplish things and be successful. Um, because I've noticed like if I am on vacation somewhere that is actually a laid back place and there's nothing to do, I am pretty good at relaxing and not doing shit. Yes. Right. Yes. But when I'm in an environment in which I need to, uh, or like Chicago is a great example. When I am here, I am a very, uh, uh, hyper and driven person because that's the party I'm in. Yeah. Right. So, I guess I wonder, does, is, is this just an American thing an ADHD or like, is, is it our culture as well? Such a great question. Or can, you know, cause a kid in another time might not be as driven and crazy. They might be like, oh, I'm just going to play with mud and be, I think. <laughs> that's right. So does ADHD exist everywhere? Absolutely. Do, do we have difference in terms of political understandings of what, how, what we call this diagnosis? Yeah. With ADHD, we have a, we actually, it's not listed as a learning disability, it's listed as a medical issue, right? The brain is fundamentally actually physically different. We can see how it processes information differently. We can see how dopamine is different. We can see the blood flow things that are different. It's an objective difference in the development of the human, right? It's not just caused in America. There's debates about like, we have this like flashy technology driven society where like, you know, everyone has, is reinforced for being inattentive. It's like, that does cultivate inattentiveness. It doesn't breed ADHD. And that's how we need to start seeing those two things as differently. Like ADHD to me is, is absolutely an imperative aspect of survival of species. Can I be that bold just to say like, it's about survival of species? Yeah, be bold. Okay. So. Um, in the article that you guys are maybe going to think about reading and possibly never read. The article David is discussing has been renamed The Science of Success and appeared in The Atlantic in 2009. Uh, a link to the article can be found in our show notes or on our website, somethingshinypodcast.com. There's a... I'll write it down at least. Yeah, you'll write it down and in a year you'll be like, oh yeah, that thing. Um, it talks about how we all have these different allele cells. And the, the, the brain fart moment I'm having right now is I can't remember. I think it's the longer the allele cell, the more vulnerable it is to the environmental variables. Allele cells are either short, medium, or long, right? Depending on development. Now, based on... Can you just refresh where allele cells are in nope, your body? Nope, okay. nope, no, you're, that's Thank you for that primer. So, like, so what's the name of the thing we're going to read or not read? The orchid children. Oh, that one. Yeah. Okay, great. Like, damn article. So on your DNA, you have these little allele cells that actually are fundamentally part of like epigenetics and the development of like passed on learning and current learning. By epigenetics, you mean? Say more. Do it. Oh, okay. Epigenetics is that idea that um, there are environmental factors that influence like which genes are turned on or off or activate, like essentially while you are still in utero and not just that, but while your uh, grandmother's eggs were, or your yeah. mother's mother as a baby was inside your grandmother with all of her eggs already in her. Therefore, you're I'm messing this up. I, your grandmother's environment and the stress and the trauma, whatever your grandmother survived, affected your immediately went into egg the eggs mom. of your mother, which is you. We passed down survival traits, one generation to the next. Not like it takes eons for the, the neck to grow, like immediate. The best research to talk about this is like, of course, us abusing rats. 
So I'm going to talk about this example of humans abusing rats. We took a female rat, we put her in a cage, just a regular rat, and we released a, a neutral, noxious smell, like a smell that the rat had never smelled before. They released it in the cage, and the second they released the, the, the smell, bashed the rat's tail with a hammer or something hard, mm. right? And then the rat's like, Bow! and then they release the smell and they bash its tail, and they release the smell and they bash its tail. Now, like, see that montage in your head and like just flip the months, right? Like it does, it happens for a long time. They really ensure that there's a, like um, some pairing here. And then the final blow is they release the smell and then they cut off the rat's tail. Right, done. That was me making a rat screaming noise. Yeah, sorry. Then they take the rat out of this research chamber. They heal the tail. It doesn't grow back because it's not a weirdo, but like, you know, stubby now. Stubby meets another male rat. They have babies. Lives a wonderful life out in the pasture. Never encounters a smell and is never bashed on what's left of the tail again, right? But the second stubby has children. All the children are brought up into the research cage and the smell is released. What do you think happened? They all freak out. They all freak out. They are running all over the place. They have never had their tails bashed. And the rat wasn't pregnant when the tail was bashed. It gets coated in the allele cells to help them survive in future generations. So trauma does pass on. That's why I was talking about the intersection between ADHD and trauma. But what becomes really important for us is thinking about how these allele cells are triggered now by environments. There are some people I can study with there are some people I can't. There's some people I can work with. There's some people I can't. It's like the people or the environments are the noxious smells. I mean, in this metaphor. It, exactly. And it, whether or not it's based on learned history in your life or it's passed down, it doesn't make sense. But certain environments are dysregulating. The more mastery I have in an environment, the more I know what to expect. Like, um, no, this is weird, but I used to do like wrestling and MMA stuff, right? And it's a very strange world for like most people. But if I like walk into a gym and like I'm on that weird mat and I smell that thing, I'm like, oh, I know what to do here. Like immediately I kind of feel comfortable. And, and I don't think any of you would feel comfortable walking onto a mat like that if you don't have experience. It's, and you might be more tentative, like who do I talk to? How do I approach people? Is this the right thing? Should I be wearing these shoes? What are the right, you'd have all these questions, all these distractions in your mind, right? And when you have more mastery, you don't have any. You, don't, you have more impulsivity and not distractions. And so when we're looking at inattentive versus hyperactive, we also look at the environmental variables. Like if you needed to bang out a written project, where would you go? Downstairs kitchen, we have an island, mm -hmm. which is the dough, what do we call it? Dough table? Dough island, that's where we make dough. <laughs> I got you, it's a cool table so you can actually press out things and it doesn't. No, it's, uh, it's an island in the middle of the, it's a, you know. But it's got a marble top. Yeah, sure. absolutely. I'm with you. So put it down, I would sit there, there's a, plug on the end so i would plug the laptop in and i work there what's in that room well it's the kitchen so just kitchen things mostly it's uh the counters are empty except in one corner we have some appliances mm -hmm. but there's nothing there you have a lot of pictures on the wall there none uh-huh and uh do you have do you have a lot of tvs in that room none do you see where i'm getting at right now yes what are you figuring out about this environment <laughs> it's uh sterile we need more photos. <laughs> or don't, actually. No, you don't. It's, you are effective working there because of the absence of distractions. Yes. And you're, you're now figuring out what kind of work environments, if you think about your work history, that you've been more successful and less successful in based on that one experience. And yes, because the old, when we first moved to Chicago, I was doing a lot of writing frequently. That's all that my only source of income. And where I would set it up was, again, sort of a center island, except there was a big open window where you could see the entire skyline of Chicago from the West Loop sort of out. 
and the TV, and there was stuff ha always happening on sort of the right side of the room, and I didn't write very well. That's a lot of distraction. That would be like really hard to write well. Yes. I still did because I'm very good, but it was very, very hard. <laughs> I love that. It's so true. But, but so what, what we're talking about is there are a lot of people that try to study or feel like they should study in certain ways that don't work. Like, um, who's the guy that does the Coke Christmas commercials, the famous uh, artist? Rockwell. Yeah, Norman Rockwell pretty much invented what we all think of for Christmas, right? Like when you think of like a Christmas thing, whether you're Christian or not, like you're th this is what I think of, right? Like, um, like there's some kind of stocking cap and there's like a table and there might be like some weird kind of like candle and there's snow falling and there's like hills and like some kind of weird Christmas smell or something, right? I don't know. It's like we could all paint that image. Now, what does studying look like? Quiet in the library, hunched over a book, dust motes in the air. Discipline. Just sitting there doing it churning and grinding painful giant yeah. books next to you if it's not hurting you're not learning right like it's it's a big part of touch of crumpling up paper and throwing it on a track <laughs> that's, more, that's inventive more than studying okay. though <laughs> but it, let's, let's i don't study i only watch movies there you go <laughs> but study there are some people that might just study well like um talking with friends in a study group and never taking notes or reading something right and if that person goes through school succeeding on tests because they're in a study group, they're going to believe they cheated and we go back to self-esteem. And now what we're talking about is like, holy crap, there are allele cells being activated. This person feels safer in these environments. The accommodations, like we can start seeing the layers of why this person's succeeding or failing. It's not so random. The first thing you should always ask is where does the behavior not happen? Where are you not distracted? Where do you not try to spend money? Where are you not thinking about hooking up with people? Where are you not thinking about leaving? Where is it again? Where does the behavior not happen? All the time people will come to my office like, this person's a monster. They're always beating up people and they, they're hateful and they're full of something. And I'm like, oh God, where are they not like that? They're like, no, they're like that everywhere. I'm like, no, where are they not like that? Oh God, the only place they're respectful is at Nana's house. Oh, what's different about Nana's house? Nothing, and now we have work. Now we can figure out what we have to figure out. ADHD is figuring out like, where does this not happen? If every time you're transitioning, you're gonna get anxious, where have you transitioned without anxiety? And if it's never happened, then let's just plan for it and accept that it's gonna happen. <laughs> Don't think that because it's happening, you're failing. This is how we start reframing and thinking about accommodations for ADHD. It's about embracing it. It's about finding out what works for you and radically accepting it and throwing out what doesn't work. Well, and part of what struck me as you're describing this, um, like that idea of the radical acceptance, just like accept this is how you are, mm -hmm. um, figure out where you don't do it, like try to change your environment to it, stop judging yourself so harshly. Um, and then the thing you said about like, you know, the self-esteem hit, you know, I'm thinking of like the way that I know I self-stimulate with like self-criticism or a shame spiral. Yep or anxiety or anger even to get myself to focus on something that's really boring. Mm -hmm. And so the, like, it's almost like there's like a resistance. I think we've talked about this before to something being so easy. Yeah. Cause that sounds so easy and like, Oh my gosh. Yes. But then I'm like, but life can't be that easy or I, I don't know. Wait, that's such is that a thought that like sits with all, everyone's nodding their heads. Like okay. while you're saying that, like you're not alone. There's a belief with ADHD. Think about the pair, the pairing that has happened. Psychologically speaking, you've only been validated if it hurt. 
Good job studying the way that's inauthentic. You did everything that you didn't like to do and you got a mediocre grade. I'm proud of you for trying. <laughs> right? Like the mixed message inherent to that is like incredible. I'm sorry. I just realized that's like my entire child. And so that's very funny. So then we have different ways of self-stimming, right? Like, yeah. like just like you're talking about, it's like figuring out how we can understand these relationships differently. Like the relief pitcher. It's okay. You have one. You have a fastball that no one can hit. You literally can't throw another pitch, but you can throw 125 miles an hour. Just do that over and over again, seven times. Hit him in the back. I don't care. He's not going to swing again. But like, but now all of a sudden we're cultivating that strength. You're. Oh, I'm, can I get really nerdy? It's like a D. Does anyone here play D and D or ever did? Oh God, good. I'm super nerdy. To Too late. I'm going to do it to myself. A lot of friends that do. So for all of you out there that are listening to this that understand D and D, it's the topic of mid maxing. You get a certain number of points that you can allocate on different skills like strength and charisma and dexterity and all that kind of stuff, right? And like, I'll take all the points and I'll be like, I'll be eight, like 18 is the strongest or the best number. So I'll be like, oh, I have an 18 strength and I'll have an 18 charisma and I'll have a one intelligence. Like I will work, I want to be really good at one thing and I don't care about it. I'll be a dummy running around. ADHD is so much around mid-maxing. It's minimizing the things are, you're not good, about, good at, outsourcing those and knowing that they're not part of your repertoire and really taking charge and controlling the things you, sh you, you should do. And for ADHD, the great line for that to help someone with ADHD know what you should work on. Oh wait, but it's like a drum roll, you can like add it in, it's like brrr. But like you can tell someone what to do, you can't tell them how to do it, and it goes both ways. If you want it done a specific way, you should do it. If you don't care at how it gets done, it doesn't matter. And think about that when you, what you wanna outsource. It doesn't necessarily matter like you only do the things that are easy for you too, but think about the outcomes. Like I want you to like, Put, you know, 10 inches of flour on your hands before you start doing whatever it is. It's like, well, I don't do it with 10 inches of flour. I do it with seven. It's like, well, you can't. It's like, that's where we stop. You can tell me what to do. You can't tell me how to do it. And ADHD starts impacting self-esteem more than people realize. It starts increasing distraction more than people realize. It's important to let people get into flow. And their flow might be like blasting to music and, you know, like dancing around and at a standing desk. And they're also like just zoning in and writing something. Yeah. But you don't tell them how to do it. You don't say sit at the library and do it. And if they're watching, if they're listening to music and you're worried it's distracting them, ask them like, ask them about the music. Oh, does the music distract you? And if they say no, you say how, and you be like, I, and they will fill in the blanks. Like there are some people I work with who will listen to music and they know that music with words they can't listen to, but they, they can listen. Like if it, if it doesn't have words, they can go for it. If it's classical music, it's not a problem. Techno music, not a problem. But like nothing with, with like a song, unless they've heard it a million times. And if they've heard it a million times, then they... But it's simply knowing those differences around what music you're choosing to listen to. N not just music. It's like these are all the things that help embrace and accommodate ADHD. You ever gotten cereal and found that there's like a prize in the bottom? But, but there's like five prizes that you have to collect. You got to collect them all. Well, my lecture is being broken up into small prizes that are found at the bottom of cereal boxes. Except instead of a cereal box, it's this podcast, and we will slowly be releasing them. Thank you so much for listening. If you ever had that thought where you think, hey, I'm nothing, stop. Remember, you're something. Something's shiny. That's right. Just as you are. 
If you like what you heard and you want to hear more free episodes of this podcast, please subscribe, rate, and review anywhere you listen to podcasts. We're on Instagram as Something Shiny Podcast. And if you're looking for more information, useful links, definitions, visuals, everything we can think of and more is on our website at somethingshinypodcast.com. And it's all free. Thank you so much for listening and we'll see you in two weeks. Bye.